Hey, this is John Huseman. I'm the pastor of the Ark Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it draws you closer to God. Enjoy the message. I want to start off by reading um, a little story from John Maxwell. This is called Life Defined. I know it's not biblically accurate. Don't send me an email. That's not what the... I know, I know, I know. So um, this is fun only. So it says, on the very first day, God created the dog. Sorry, cat people, but dogs come for... And God said, sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes by or walks past. And I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the dog said, that's too long to be barking. Give me 10 years and I'll give you back 10. And so God agreed. On the second day, God created the monkey. And God said, entertain people, do monkey tricks and make them laugh. And I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years. The monkey said, 20 years of doing monkey tricks? Like that's too long. The dog gave you back 10. How about I give you back 10? And so then God agreed. On the third day, God created the cow. And he said, you must go to the field with the farmer all day long and toil under the sun, have calves, give milk to support the farmer, and I'll give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow's like, 60 years? You want me to work that hard for 60 years? I see all these deals that these guys have been cutting with you. How about I work for 20 years and I give you back 40? And, the God, and God agreed. On the fourth day, God created man. And God said, eat, sleep, play, get married, enjoy your life. I'll give you 20 years. And the man's like, only 20 years? You only are going to give me 20 years? He's like, how about I make a deal with you? I'll take the 40 years the cow gave back. I'll take the 10 years from the monkey. And I'll take the 10 years from the dog. And you give me a lifespan of 80 years. And God agreed. So that is why the first 20 years... We eat, sleep, play, and enjoy ourselves. And then the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. The next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain the grandchildren. <laughs> and the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and we bark at everybody that passes by. <laughs> so now life has been explained to you. Yes, yes. Man, I, the word resurrection means something that's dead comes back to life. Like that's what the word resurrection means. And I've been praying this week that God would just resurrect things in your life that feel dead. Things in your life that feel too far gone. Things in your life that seem like there's no hope, there's no way, there's no way back. That God would begin only with his grace and his power and his sweet little word could come and resurrect things that in your mind feel dead. So we're going to start in the book of Isaiah in 43. This is verse 18 and 19. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is the God that we serve. That he's like, I know you can't see a way out. There is a way out. I know you can't see refreshment. I know you can't see water. I know you can't see a life where you're flourishing and experiencing peace and joy and strength. I know you can't see it. But he's like, if you can take a step and believe it, he's like, this is what I have for you. It's not in the past. Stop looking at the past. 
Stop looking at all the things that are wrong. Stop looking at all the things that you're disappointed about, you're discouraged about. He's like, I have something new for you. And a lot of people pull this verse out at the beginning of the year. It's a great verse in January. But I really believe as I was praying for you this week, like this is a word for a lot of you. God has a new season. God has new strength. God has new hope. God has something new where he's going to produce water, refreshment, peace, strength. That God has something new for you this Easter, and it's going to blow you away. You know, sometimes you give your life to Jesus. And man, I give my life to Jesus, and it's like, wow, every message feels like it's just for me, like the pastor is spying on me. We don't spy on you, by the way. And then I come, and every song is like, wow, the presence of God. And I start to tear up, and I start to cry. And it seems like I have all this joy and all this peace. And then I face resistance. And then I get resistance from my boss. And then I get resistance from my friends. And then I get resistance from my mother-in-law. I love her, but I get resistance, right? So you, you feel resistance, and you're like, wait, I didn't, I didn't think it was supposed to be like this. I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, like, no more problems. I thought it was rainbows and butterflies, and, and I, I thought every song ended with a Disney special. Like, okay, that, sorry to tell you, like, that's not it. If you're a straight-A student, you're going to have resistance. If you're the CEO of a company, you're going to have resistance, if you homeschool your kids, you will have resistance, even if you are gluten-free. Technically, you are the best among us. But even though, you still will have resistance. Well, John, I feel pretty discouraged now. I regret coming here today. Okay, well, um, there is good news. Just because you're facing resistance doesn't mean that God's not working. Just because you're facing a struggle, just because you feel like I'm in the middle of something that I wish I could get out of, I wish was different, I wish this could have new life, doesn't mean that God's not working. This is a promise in Psalms 34, 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. The righteous person will have many troubles. The righteous person will have many troubles. Just because you have trouble doesn't mean you're not righteous. Just because you have trouble doesn't mean you're not doing the thing that God wants you to do. But you need to know he will deliver you. He will help you. He will get you out. He has an answer. He has hope. He has a way out even when you find yourself in the middle of something very difficult. You see, there's this Bible story in the book of Daniel and there's three teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, not too many of you have classmates named Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. But there's these three guys, and they love God. And they're in this country called Babylon. And the king is like, there's only one person anybody can worship, and it's me. Like, you have to worship me. I am now considering myself a god, and everyone in this nation is going to worship me. And these three teenagers, they're like, not me. I ain't worshiping you. I worship God, almighty God. That's the only person I worship. That's the only person I serve. So the king, he's angry. He's mad. He's got some issues, like back from his childhood. I mean, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Think about writing that on your first grade, Nebuchadnezzar. At the top of your paper every single day, first grade, second grade, third grade. So he's got some issues, right? So, so he's like, no, 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 you are going to worship me. And they're like, nuh-uh, uh-huh, nuh-uh, uh-huh, nuh-uh. So, so this is the argument that's going on. So the king Binds them up, ties them up, and then throws them in this, like, fiery furnace. And he's like, we'll see if your God can save you now. So a few moments go by, and he looks in there, and it's like, hmm, there's some change happening there. I'm, that's not exactly what happened. 
This is what the Bible says, Daniel 3.25. Nebuchadnezzar said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar's like, there's four people in there. There was three, but now there's four. And that looks like Jesus. And Jesus came in the fire. He came in the middle. And so Nebuchadnezzar sees it. They're not harmed. They're not bound up. They have been delivered. The Lord has delivered them. And so he gets them out of the fire. And then he has a brand new decree. Everybody in Babylon has to worship, has to serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love it when teenagers get excited about Jesus. I love it when teenagers are like, I ain't serving that. You see change begin to happen. But it's good to know God will come in the middle. He doesn't always come at the beginning. He doesn't always like, come at the very end when you kind of feel like, okay, things are worked out, got everything worked out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen the way I planned. And then God, no, he'll come right in the middle. God came in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the fire. And so sometimes his greatest work happens in the very middle. So if you find yourself today, you're like, man, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of struggle. I'm in the middle of pain. I'm in the middle of regret. I'm in the middle of this life where if people really knew what was going on inside of me, like they would, they would, not, they would not understand. Because there's pain, there's loneliness, there's discouragement. And Jesus is like, I will come right in the middle of that exact situation. God does some of his greatest miracles right there in the middle. Now there's some, there's some phrases that I have grown to hate uh, uh, now that I'm in my 40s. And uh, one of those phrases is some assembly required. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? The rest of your day is now occupied with frustration, hopelessness, and anger. That, that's what it should say, right? That just give me the toy that says that. That's exactly. So I find myself in this situation. And uh, I don't know, birthday, Christmas, who knows? I've tried to repress this memory. Um, and so I'm with my son, Samuel, who's very enthusiastic, which is Okay, so he's very enthusiastic that he can help and he can, you know, he wants to do it and he wants to, you know, use the screwdriver and, and he wants to put the things together. And so after an hour, we have like 20 pages left of this assembly process. And I'm like, Sam, I love you. Go see your mom. You know, I'm, I'm like, you're not helping me. You're, you're not actually helping me. And sometimes we think that's how God is. Sometimes we think, God can't really help me. I mean, I know God is nice and he's big and he's over here, but I mean, I got real problems, John. I got real problems in my marriage. I got real problems with my kids. I got real problems with my life. I got a real problem. Like, I, I don't know if God can actually come and help. I want you to hear God does his best work in the middle in the middle of struggle, in the middle of despair, in the middle of hopelessness, God will come right in the middle. He's not only just there, like he's able to help. When your car breaks down, you don't want a friend that just sits there shotgun and is like, I'll take care of the music. You don't want that. You want a friend that like knows how to use some jumper cables, like has some, you know, mechanic in him. I mean, at the very least, you want a friend that's going to get out and push that hoopty down the, down the road so you can get some fixing going on, right? So, I don't want a God that just is there. I want a God that can help. And so whether you realize it or not, you don't have to fix it on your own. You don't have to solve it on your own. Jesus has resurrection power. 
He has power available, a word available, a song available, a whisper available that is going to be the thing you need to get you out of the struggle, out of despair, out of the very thing that you thought was the very end. The Apostle Paul, he's writing about the middle of his ministry. And he's done some incredible things, but this is what he writes in Philippians 3.13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. He's saying like, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't accomplished that much yet. He's like, I don't consider myself there. I don't consider myself to have done everything that God wants me to do. Well, what has he done? I don't know. He's written the book of Romans. He's like the very first ever missionary. The first person to go to Europe. The first person to, I mean, he's written all these. He's actually in jail right now as he's writing this book. He's laid his hands on people. They've been healed. He's probably told more people about Jesus at this point in history than any person. He's like, there's more God has for me. There's more God wants me to do. I'm straining towards the future because I know God has more for me. So maybe you're here today and you feel like, man, my best days are back there. I mean, I used to serve God. I used to love God. I used to be pretty close to God, but I mean, that was, that was way back then. I want you to hear today, God has a mission for you in the middle of today, in the middle of now, in the middle of where you're at right now, that God has more. You can strain towards more. There's more purpose. There's more hope. There's more strength. That you might be like, well, I'm just a teacher. God has a mission for you there. Well, I'm just in an in, in accountant. God has a mission for you. I'm just a student. God has a mission for you right there in the middle of something that might even seem mundane. So your best days are ahead of you. God has more. You can strain towards the future. You can forget about what's behind because God has more for you in the future. I love that we're positioned in the middle of America, honestly. I love that we're in Salina. I love this city. I love that in the middle of America, this is where God has positioned us. So God has a mission in the middle, the middle of your job, the middle of your family, the middle of your sphere of influence, the middle of your school, in the middle of things that don't even seem that exciting. God has a mission for you. I remember when I graduated high school, I didn't really think about being a pastor. That wasn't like on my radar. No one in my family was a pastor. It wasn't like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I knew I wanted to be a role model for, for young kids. So I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. I'll go to school to be a teacher. So I went to Kansas State, and I was an early adopter into the sin world. So I was, I was a very big sinner at the age of like 14, 15, 16. So I was advanced. So uh, I got a lot of partying, a lot of sin in my life going on back then. So by the time I got to college, I was like, okay, I'm ready to serve God. I'm ready to rededicate my life to God. So I, I go to Kansas State. I feel led to join the Sigma Chi fraternity. I know that seems counterintuitive. But the very first day I roll in there, I put my Bible down, and I'm like, I'm a Christian. Like, I don't drink. I don't go to bars. Like, I, this is, I'm not judging you, but this is what I feel like my life is supposed to be about. I'm going to be a teacher one day, and I want to help as many young people as possible. So I'm in this environment, and I know God's called me into this environment. And the first year goes by, and it's lonely. I mean, it's really lonely. I, I, 
I'm surrounded by guys, but I, I don't have a Christian friend. I don't have people that are really supporting me the way I, I was hoping to have support. And I'm waking up every morning, and I'm spending an hour a day with God just praying, praying over the fraternity, praying over my life, asking God, God, could you get me out of here? I don't want to be in this environment anymore. I want to have Christian friends. I want to, I want to do something for you. I want to be around. But God, would you get me out of here? There's got to be something more. Like, get me out of this environment. In my sophomore year, I'm having one of these, one of these times where I'm, I'm about to go be by myself on a Friday night. And I keep getting this thought, call this guy. Call this guy. Call this guy. I'm like, eh, he's probably out partying. Like, this particular guy, like, he was drinking like three or four times a week, like one of the biggest partiers in the fraternity. And I kept getting the thought, and I'm like, okay, fine. So I, I call, that's how I talk to God sometimes. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> so I, I call him. I'm like, hey, man, you want to you wanna hang out tonight? Maybe we go get some food or a movie or something like that. And it's super awkward. He's like, sure. Great. Uh, I'll, I'll see you down at the car in like, you know, 10 minutes or something like that. So it's, we go, we hang out. I feel like I was supposed to do this thing. It doesn't really seem that important. It doesn't seem like, I'm like, why did I do this? Like, it was awkward. The guy was acting weird. Now the lights are all black. Okay, nothing, nothing weird's going on. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so I guess we'll keep the lights just like this. Awesome. Um, so about a week later, hi. Nothing ever awkward here at the Ark Church, yes. So honestly, a week later, I'm still having this thought, what am I doing here? What's going on here? He bursts into my room. He has a suicide note in one hand, and he's holding a weapon in his other hand. He's like, I want to tell you what happened a week ago. He's like, I party all the time because I feel like no one cares about me. I feel like I don't have one single friend in this whole house and I keep trying to numb the pain and numb the pain and I party and I drink and I go to the bars hoping there's some kind of relief and he's like, it's painful, it's lonely. And so finally I just said, okay God, if no one calls me in 45 minutes, I'm gonna end my life. And so he's like, I went in my room, I locked the door, I turned the music up so no one would really know and I set the timer. And 10 minutes goes by, 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by. I start to write the suicide note. I start to apologize to my parents, apologize to my friends, but there's just, there's no point for me to live. He's like, I prayed, God, if you are real, if you are really real, have somebody call me. He's like, three minutes left on the timer. You call me. John Hughesman calls me. The one Christian and the whole fraternity calls me. And he's like, I know God's real. And I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And I said, can you put the weapon down real quick? Just. <laughs> and we, we hugged and we cried. And I could feel the presence of God. And his whole life changed. He started to go to Bible study. He started to change. The whole fraternity voted and said he doesn't have to pay party dues anymore because his whole life was different. 
He started to have joy. He started to minister. He met this girl, Christian girl. They have three kids now. He's serving God, living for God. And sometimes you think your life doesn't matter. Sometimes you're like, God, get me out of here. I want something more exciting. I don't want to be just a student. I don't want to be just a mom. I don't want to be just a whatever it is. God has a mission for you in the middle of whatever situation you're in. And if you serve him and if you love him, he will use you in ways you never imagined. There's also the cross. I love the cross. And I want to read you one more verse as we close today. It's in John 19, 18. And it says, there they crucified him. With him, two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. There he is. Jesus is in the middle. He's in the middle again. He's the ultimate middleman. Whatever you are in, Jesus is the ultimate middleman. He can get you out. He can get you hope. He can get you strength. He can get you peace. He can get you love. Jesus is the ultimate middleman. And so he's on the cross. And there's a guy over here that's a criminal. He's guilty. And he's like, this guy's a joke. He's not really the Messiah. Serving him is not really going to change your life. Doing this whole Jesus thing, God thing, it's not really going to make a difference. But then there's another guy on this side. And he looks at Jesus and he's like, I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe you can add hope. I believe you can add peace. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And Jesus looks at him and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I know you're guilty. I know you've made mistakes. I know your life isn't how you wanted it to be. But today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus even comes in the middle of our mess. The biggest messes of my life are my fault. The biggest messes of my life is when I knew the right thing to do and I still turned away. I still turned my back on God. I knew the right thing and I still turned my back and yet he's there. He's in the middle. He's welcoming me back home. There's a purpose why we say welcome home really big right in our lobby because so many people feel like God doesn't welcome them, that they don't belong, they don't fit in, they don't look the part, they don't dress the part, they're too young, they're too old, they're too this, they're too that. Jesus says welcome home. He's in the middle welcoming you, wanting you to be part of the family, wanting you to take a step, actually having a resurrection life that is better than anything you can do on your own. And he just invites you. He doesn't force you. He just invites you to come into this place where he can add life and life with more peace, more love, more joy. I've never regretted giving my life to Jesus. I've never regretted serving him. I've never regretted saying, Jesus, you are my king. You are my Lord. You are my savior. I've never regretted it. Jesus changes everything. And if you let him this Easter, he can resurrect things in your life too. Let me pray for you as we close. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you went to the cross. We thank you that you took our sin. You took our pain. You took the punishment so we could be clean, so we could be part of the family, so we could come close to you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
Thank you that you're resurrecting hope. You're resurrecting strength. You're resurrecting purpose. You're resurrecting peace. Thank you, Jesus, that your presence is the strongest presence, that it overcomes addiction, depression, despair, loneliness. That, Jesus, you are greater. That you are able to do more than what we could do on our own. So today, Jesus, we welcome you here. We welcome you in our lives. As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, maybe you're here today. Maybe you asked Jesus to come into your life as a a little kid, but you've just kind of taken some steps away. Or maybe you've never taken that step. He's here. There's life. There's hope. There's a way out. Jesus will come right in the middle of whatever you're dealing with today. So I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front, but just sitting right there in your seat, I'd love to pray with you. So I'm going to ask you, if you want prayer today, just lift up your hand. Would you pray for me? Yep, yep. Lift it up, lift it up. Yep, yep, yep. Good, good, good. Yep, 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 yep. You can put your hands down. God sees your hand. God sees your heart. Let's say this prayer as one big church family. Let's all say this out loud. Say, dear God, I ask you to come into my life and to be my Lord and Savior. I confess that I've sinned, but I'm asking you to forgive me to heal me and to redeem me. Today, God, I dedicate my life fully to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we celebrate life change today? Jesus changes everything. He really does. He really does. So a couple things right before you go. Man, the Bible says all of heaven rejoices over one person, over one person. That raises their hand. Today in this room, over 30 people have raised their hand. So here's here's what I'm asking you to do. Just tell somebody. Say, hey, I dedicated my life to God today. I raised my hand today. Or tell someone, say, I didn't raise my hand, but I, I meant that prayer. I meant that. So tell, we all need people around us. And then keep coming back, maybe to a different service where there's more seating available. But But keep coming back. Keep coming back to a place where you can experience the presence of God. You can be around people that love you and care about you. And so we will keep praying. We'll keep praying. Last order of business, it is Easter. That means mama gets her family photo. Y'all better, you better agree to that. Mama gets her family photo. So we love you. We're praying for you. Happy Easter. Have a great day.